Hello and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick. And we are your co-hosts. So this week, I'm talking about Benzoin. Benzoin. There seems to be no consensus on how to pronounce this. I've always said Benzoin. Um, it's a little bit of a different topic for me because it's it's like a resin and it's really popular in incense and perfumes. But I'm excited. I think it's fun. It feels very appropriate to be talking about like a cleansing planty friend during the springtime. So love that. And speaking of things that are um, you know, questionably pronounced, <laughs> I'm actually talking about um Sibylle today. Um Maybe sometimes um, Sibeli. Um, one person said um, Cybel. I don't like that one. No, I, I, um, I'm going to nix that one. <laughs> we're nixing right Cybel. Um, but yeah, Sibeli, um, Anatolian mother goddess. And then we're doing our third, if you can believe it, third Ostara segment. And you guys know we're a week late. Just fucking deal with it. Okay. Yeah. Like, okay. Come on, y'all. It's, it's been a time. Um, and I think, I don't know that we've recorded since, but uh, just up top, thanks everyone for, you know, hanging with last week. We did lose old man Samson, my 15-year-old cat, finally. So, you know, I I needed some space to deal with losing such a long-term partner and crime. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's already haunting the fuck out of this house. So, you know, not very far away and i don't think that shocks anyone that has no. ever met him no and i mean honestly one of my favorite ghosts currently so yeah 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 um i'm super i'm super happy that he is like still around obviously but it was it was um it was a great experience the way that we did it we had an organization that like came to the house to help him pass so you know, if anyone has any specific questions about that, you know, you can always hit us up. I'm happy to talk through it with you. I think it was, um, it was one of the best ways I could have imagined such an awful thing happening. And I think that's really important, but I'm glad to be back. <laughs> yes. And I, again, you know, um, actually, I think it's kind of funny that I'm like apologizing for the timing. And I think you'll kind of see why when I do get into my Ostara coverage, um, but we'll save that for a bit later on. Now, um, in spite of everything, um, was there a time when you felt the magic this week? Yeah, you know, so this week has been really, really wild. Um, there's a lot of stuff happening in my personal emotional sphere right now. But yesterday, I like, you know, when you're in those periods where you're really blue for a long time, I had like a crack in the clouds moment yesterday where I cleaned out the pantry, which I think is such a good Ostara type project for me. Um, so I just, I kind of went on a little, like I did a mini spring cleaning yesterday. And for me, that did feel really magical because I have been like not in a great place recently. And so finally having this like moment where it's just like, oh God, okay. Let's get some of the like stagnant energy moving around. Um, the kitchen is so healing. So I cleaned out my pantry yesterday and I made macarons with like a chocolate raspberry ganache that are, they're amazing. And so that was, that was when I felt magical. I was like, 
I'm going to get back in the kitchen. I'm going to cook things for people that I love. And I'm going to clean because I'm a Virgo. So cleaning and cooking, that was my magic. <laughs> love that. I actually, so um, I have, I have two. I, I do have two. I always have two because I'm such an indecisive bitch. And I, I think this is one of those times where Aries being Libra's sister sign really Makes jumps sense. out when I have to like pick one thing for this this part of the show. So um, the first one was um, on the on the uh, equinox, which was the 20th, um, I do believe, the yeah. spring, spring equinox, um, literally the day of the equinox, which was the coldest equinox in Texas in 40 years, just. Yeah, it was also fucking like rainy and 40 degrees here, so. Yeah, so what a weird one. It was not really feeling like the spring equinox, but I did have uh, a truly incredible meal. Um, mm. We went to Uchiko and we kind of like built our own little tasting menu and set at the bar. And I was like, abundance. I love that. Um, so that's 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 the kind of energy we're bringing into this new year i also i think it's great i'm actually going to talk about this later on so i'll shut up but the other one was um so i think i showed you my little fence hopping spot when you were here last um yeah yeah so you know how there's one of those like dwarf apartment trees right there Mm -hmm. um and if you were to be climbing over the fence you would be kind of right at face height with the top of that tree now, those little dwarf apartment trees put on these tiny, tiny, tiny little flowers in the springtime. So the whole thing's just covered, covered, covered. And when I tell you there was like a thousand bees on this tree, and I just had to stop at the top of the fence, and I was just watching them kind of buzz this tree. And literally every single branch you looked at had a bee on it. And I was oh, like, I was just, love. it was so spring. It was so, it was nice, you know, because I'm not one of those people. Um, I I definitely keep the wasps on my patio as pets because I'm a weirdo. Um, that's no, just because like because you live alongside nature. I truly, truly strive to. Um, but I, yeah, it was just nice, and it you know just like you could hear, you could hear the you could hear the bees. I love that. I did have like a mini magical bee moment it reminds me of so yesterday when I did have my like burst of okay I'm gonna crawl out of my depression den I went outside and had to like re-cayenne some of my seedling plantings because fucking squirrels um which my indigo little seedlings are so cute but I was deadheading some of my zinnias and there were a bunch of bees because it's it's been so wet here that I feel like when it's sunny, like everything is like shit. Go now, <laughs> right, be right, again right. This week, um, but it was nice, like deadheading zinnias right there next to some bees, and yeah, bees are much spring, M- much spring, very <laughs> Oscara. So, um, I guess let's get into it, and I'm gonna say, like, let's kind of do dealer's choice because I have both of my topics pulled up. You have one topic this week and the tarot scope. So what do we want to do? Do we want to hear my pitch for an alt Ostara holiday? Or we, do we want to get into Sibylle first? Because I think there's going to be Ooh. connections to both. So I really don't think it 
truly matters who comes first. You know what? Let's turn it on its head and do Sibylle. Like, let's okay. do the deity profile up top because the rules are made up. Like, it doesn't the rules, matter. The rules are made up. And actually, I think that's great because that's also part, partially the theme of my um, Ostara bit um, for this, this go-round. So, yeah, let's get into, into it. Sibylle. So, Sibylle is an Anatolian mother goddess. So first mm. and foremost, so with all of the sort of associations there, and we're we're talking fertility, we're talking protection, um, but we're also talking prophecy. So the prophecy line goes all the way back. And when I say all the way back, um, I might mean like truly all of the way back because Sibylle might be Mesopotamian in origin. So go ahead and drink Ooh. up. Um, because we I'm drink taking a drink. We had to do it to him. We had to do it to him. Um, so there is, so Sibylle sort of nominally, nominally is, has an origin um, in Phrygia, which is spelled P-H-R-Y-G-I-A. Um, it is not the made up country inside of my refrigerator. That, uh, <laughs> um, that's spelled with an F. Um, and it's very real. It's like Narnia. Um, anyway, so Phrygia is in what the Greeks called Anatolia, um, which is now sort of Eastern uh, Turkey. So it's okay. the the Asian side of Turkey. It's that side of the Bosporus. Um, so sort of getting closer to what we call the Fertile Crescent, but they have found um, in an excavation in Anatolia uh, a site which does date back to 7,000 BC. Now, the artifacts that I'm talking about only date back to, like, 4,000 BC, but that's still a lot of BC, okay? Um, that, that's many BC. That's many BC still. So they have these sort of fertility idols and um you know i think they'd be very recognizable to anyone who loves to go to the ceramic section at a museum because i mean if you're not seeing this you probably see a picture of it a very 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 curvaceous lady um she, she bang in and you know i you do have to remember uh sibylle um fertility idol and sort of when people thought about that back in the day it's you know it's it's hips and boobies is is the main it's it's hips and tits it's hips and tits what else but so but with a wild cat of some kind and that's where that is the sort of through line too where they can kind of say that they think that these idols are some form of the mater or sibylle or whatever um so the legend goes that Sibylle was abandoned as a child and left to the wilderness um, to die, but was actually taken in by the wild animals and specifically the wild cats. And they not only kept her alive, but also sort of trained her in the arts of wild magic. Um, uh, and then sort of she later becomes deified as this sort of all-mother goddess, right? Which is sort of like um, mundane to divine 
transformation, but in the sort of purely mythical realm, Sibylle is sort of this all mother character. So you, when it when she goes to Greece, and she's a traveling lady. Okay, first and foremost. I, of, I also just have to plug, I just looked up some statue pictures of her, and um, manspreading was done by Sibylle first. Oh, and it's all, it's it's truly all about the gender bending. Like, Sibylle is full on, like, not keeping those knees together. And I just, sorry, I saw that and was like, okay, come through, queen. <laughs> like, no, truly, truly. Sorry, um, continue. I was just blown away. But uh, it's sort of in mythology, Sibylle is sort of like a Gaia character who creates the world and the people and the gods. And also, I did like this quote that I read that was like, because Sibylle was uncreated, um, you know, so we can't think of anything ever creating Sibylle. Sibylle. Sibylle is an uncreation. So that really got kind of the juices in my imagination going. It feels very like, you know, when they try to rationalize God making everything, and then you're like, well, who made God? God is an un Christian God is an uncreation. Um, and you're not supposed to ask questions after that. I mean, that's like a juicy term to think about. Truly, truly, truly. And something that I, I would love to sink my teeth into sometime. But there's a whole story that has to be told here. So Sibylle was also heavily, heavily, heavily associated with like mountains and rock formations. Think Mother Earth, right? It's again, it's giving Gaia in the best way. But I do feel like, you know, as sort of Artemis lovers, I love this idea of like, being wild and being raised by the wilderness and then coming back as the most powerful sorceress and the most powerful oracle that so much so that you eventually like become the top tier of all the gods. Yeah. I mean, it's like a, like the Romans really love the wild rearing of things. They, they do. They do. And the Romans love Sibylle. Um, but the cool thing about Sibylle, though, is this story travels. And actually, well, I have to get into this later on. So Sibylle also has, um, in mythology, an attendant called Attis. So um, not the same Attis from other Greek mythology. Um, this is its own thing. Um, so they do kind of specified that the Greek mythological character Attis is A-T-Y-S and Sibylle's consort is A-T-T-I-S. I, so, I love the distinction. Um, but no, so is sort of the Gabrielle to Sibylle's Xena, right? Traveling companion, sort of a minstrel kind of character, a, a handmaid, if you will, um, a valet, if you're fancy and British. Um <laughs> Toss a coin to your witcher, baby. I love a minstrel. Um, no, truly, truly, truly. And um, in sort of the origin of the... So Attis was a mortal that was so in love with Sibylle, the goddess, um, that he was sort of willing to do anything for her. And he went under a pine tree and castrated himself and then um, 
bled to death, but then the sort of followers of Sibylle um, were sort of so moved by this that they deified Addis as Sibylle's consort, and then also took this sort of extra step of also uh, making it mandatory to be castrated, to be um, a priest in the Sibylian cult. Okay, well, I have to say, I'm a little troubled. <laughs> but uh, keep going. Um, you know, and so, and I, I'm trying to, like, strip back the bits because a lot of the lore around Sibylli comes from Roman Christians. Yeah. And can I just, like, say what was it with ancient men and getting, like, really into genital mut like genital mutilation for religion? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing with the the Sibylli cult, right? So, Greek colonists bring back the Sibylli cult from Anatolia, and it's wildly popular. Um, she's sort of invoked as one of the protectors of Athens, specifically. Okay. Um, and which, again, you know, this kind of mother energy, this protective energy, also kind of gets filtered into like these sort of Greek and Minoan mythologies. So like Rhea and Gaia and Demeter all have these aspects which are predated by Sibylle. And they kind of take on, they kind of pick and choose, right? But the cult of Sibylle is alive and well because it travels from Greece, from Anatolia to Greece and in, in sort of a, its its complete form. So you have this priesthood um, the Romans called them the Galli, but um, sort of the official, unofficial term is Addis. So they're kind of taking on this role of this man who was so devoted to this mother goddess that he willingly, you know. But so here's the thing, though, because actually, and I listened to a very, very interesting podcast about this specific aspect of it. Um, this is really one of the earliest representations of sort of trans culture, which is publicly documented in history. So, and cool. I mean, and I mean, they still have surviving remnants of this in Greece and Italy sort of under different guises and it has kind of crept back into sort of um you know underground christianity right you know they have these kind of gender bending um you know sort of people in wedding dresses um that they have this festival for sort of the black the black maria um, which is sort of like an underground kind of patron saint of gays and lesbians. Um, so, but initially, right, and again, you know, kind of not veering in a Christian direction, because the way that they interpret all of this is just very, 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 like, transphobic and really xenophobic, because they're like, oh, it's so foreign, like, we're... Wait, the Christians? Well, it's they not... They were polite? <laughs> But I mean, even even the Greeks, you know, even the yeah. Greeks were like, this is very Eastern. Yeah, no, I think that's a very important thing to think about when I, I find that that's one of the interesting things when we're looking at deities like this, right, is because like so much of it, you kind of have to like untangle from the lens that it was being interpreted through even though that lens is also fucking ancient at this point. Right, right, right. <laughs> so 
so basically, you know, they were like, it's very foreign, but the, the priesthood itself existed, um, you know, it was these sort of biologically male castrates initially, right? But it's not just that because they would wear women's clothing. They would wear very, very heavy makeup. They would bleach their hair. They would grow their hair out into these sort of long, luxurious styles. Yeah, it's like these sound like trans women. And they would wear, you know, sort of like exotic head dresses and really like it's trans women, not castrated men. They use this language of castrated men as like kind of a diss in a way, right? But also, and I think this is something that I think was so interesting around this cult too, because really in a time when only men could be priests in these sort of official cults to various gods. In the cult of this sort of all-mother character, you do have to give up your masculinity, even though it's sort of men can, only men can be priests, but in order to be a priest to Mother Earth, Sibylle, you gotta give up your masculinity. Very interesting. And you have to embody the feminine. So it really does kind of straddle this line. And I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. One of the questions I really had was like, you know, how did these, how would these people have identified? I feel like, yes, they probably identified more as a, as women. Yeah. It's so interesting with things like this, like, because we're looking at it from 2023. We're looking and at so, it from 2023. You know, it's like our concept of gender has changed. Not to say that it's actually become more progressive or less, because I think arguably it's all very much a roller coaster <laughs> throughout but, history. But you know, you do have to but, give, yeah. you do have to give props to the ancient Greeks and Romans for kind of recognizing that there was a middle space between yeah between the biological sexes yeah and that's i think that you know big ups to them for for that at least but so we have this like and they they use this very eastern symbolism of course sibylle is recognized as a borrowed goddess right so even though the cult is prominent in the capital of athens even and it's very widespread among the people, it is recognized as a non-Greek concoction. So, um, and you even have a lot of the priesthood still coming from Phrygia. And During... I just want to, can we just say, like, hi, anyone who, like, gives shit to modern magical practices for, like, mixing and matching from various places? That's... Clearly not a new practice. Clearly not a new practice, which we'll get into when I talk about Ostara, too. Um, but so the Greeks adopt Sibylle pretty much, you know, no questions asked. Because supposedly this sort of process of giving up your masculinity to become closer to Sibylle also made them very good at doing prophecy, which was I a mean lot... If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. Your schlong is the thing stopping you from telling the future. I absolutely. <laughs> um, I mean, if you if you think about Greece, all of the oracles were women. Yeah. 
So there is something to seeing the future being a feminine trait that was sort of ingrained in their culture. So apparently by becoming like Addis, you um, also you sort of gained this power of prophecy. Um, and prophecy factors into Sibylle's next jump, which is to Rome. So during the, hold on, well, now I'm all jumbled up. But during the, uh, the war with Carthage, oh my gosh, one sec. It just says second war against Carthage. Now that's not right. The second Punic War. The second, second Punic, Punic war. war. So during the second Punic War, when they were up against Hannibal, the guy coming over the mountains, you know, they had to beat him. Elephants, all that shit, right? Like th during this time in history. Sorry, I just love the elephants, you know. El you know, elephants, you know, because it's casual like, oh. Casual elephants. Casual elephants. Well, I mean, you know, Carthage was in Africa. They had a lot of elephants. They were like, let's try to take these elephants over the Alps. That's not why they lost, though. That no. is not why they lost. No. It's not? Because, don't blame the elephants. Because what had happened was, is that <laughs> the Romans at the time consulted the Sibylline Oracle, which sounds like it's related to Sibylle. It's not. It's related to Sibyl, who supposedly gave all of the prophecies from all of the oracles or sold them to like the first king of rome um way back in the day and they were kept in a vault and whatever and you know you could you could consult the sibylline oracle which was kind of like you know nostradamus for ancient romans so there's a lot of stuff contained in these prophecies but basically because you know in the aeneid which is sort of the story of the founding of Rome. They are kind of pitted against Carthage, um, kind of going back to this original Roman source, this, um, you know, Sibylline Oracle um, was the thing that made the most sense to them. And there's lots and lots of stuff in there about, you know, sort of what break glass if you're at war with Car Carthage again, right? So one of the prophecies was that Rome would beat Carthage in this Second Punic War if they adopted Sibylle into their pantheon. So they go to Anatolia, where the, um, you know, sort of the Phrygian Sibylle cult keeps the most precious Sibylle artifact, which is weirdly, and I think kind of cool, you know, Space Witch, shout out, a meteorite okay that is dope it's like That's a dope. dark black meteorite and so they sent for this meteorite the romans go and get it and they bring it to rome and they build a temple to sibylle on the palatine hill where they install a priesthood of galli which is the roman word for these sort of eunuch it's a priesthood of gals yeah um it's a priesthood <laughs> of gals and um, wouldn't you know it, they do end up winning the Second Punic War against Carthage, so they make it permanent. They become, like, Sibylle becomes a permanent part of the Roman pantheon, again, as a borrowed goddess. And the birth of Galentine's Day. And truly the birth of Galentine's Day. <laughs> now, that's so cool, though. But also, can someone please bring us a meteorite just right quick? Yeah, just, like, 
I don't know. So, but here is the thing. A meteorite doesn't just disappear. Where is that now? Yeah. Follow-up question. And um, one of the things that sounded like a conspiracy theory, I mean, it. I literally could find no other mention of this, but was that part of Vatican City is built on part of where the Sib- Sib- Sibylli Temple was. Okay. So maybe the Vatican has Sibylli's meteorite. Um, I mean, look, that's not, that wouldn't be the sketchiest thing the fucking Vatican has. It truly would not. It truly would not. But so they they win this war. And it, I mean, it really stays popular in Rome and until well after Christianity is the official Roman religion. So much so that there's a lot of very, very nasty accounts about these sort of Addis characters. And here's the thing about the priesthood of Sibylli. They were not allowed to make a salary. Mm. So even though Rome built them this temple, whatever, they could have made a a sort of government-sponsored salary to keep up the temple to Sibylli and perform their rituals and hold their festivals, right? That's because here's the other thing. They had to beg for money. And man, they really like made you work for it. And it was part of the spirituality. So like, even if you had access to money, you still had to go out in the streets and ask for money on behalf of the poor was like a big one that they, they were very socially conscious. Uh, I mean, obviously it's sort of like this all mother protectress character. Um, I mean, but it's almost like queers throughout history have been like taking care of the community. Right. It's very like charity driven. Um, I and love you know, a, a lot of the these Christian accounts are like, oh, these outlandish. Basically, you know, they use the F slur, or what is the F slur of the time? Their equivalent, yeah. Their equivalent. You know, they're like, oh, these outlandish and begging in the streets. You know, um, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, taking care of people. What monsters? Yeah, yeah truly, what monsters? Um, but you know, what's funny is the priesthood itself was so. I mean, the the cult itself was so popular that there is a shrine to Sibylli and Addis at Hadrian's Wall, which is the wall that separated Roman Britain from Scotland. Wow. Um, So this was not sort of an isolated cult following in Rome, even. Like, it was throughout the Roman Empire and sort of throughout the Western world because of this power of prophecy. So one of the things is that you would maybe donate to the cult of Sibylli, and in return, you would get your fortune told. I'm just, the more I'm learning about her from you, the more I'm just like, how is she not, like, more commonly known about? Well, I, I, here's the thing. I mean, transphobia, I'm sure. Transphobia, but also, they were in direct competition with Christianity. Yeah. Because they were about equally as popular. And so when the Christians took over, not only did they take great pains to destroy the cult of Sibylli, perhaps even building their holy site on top of 
Sibylline's holy holy site in Rome. Just the pissing contest sort of shit that the Vatican would do, honestly. Well, and I mean, you know, Christians do this all over the world. Yeah, it is like their MO. They take like local stuff and they make Easter have bunnies because and Jesus. They're like, mm, this is a church, this is a church now. Yeah. Because we've no. put in because we've put in a different roof. I'm sorry to tell you, this is this is Jesus's house now. So disregard the images of the green man. <laughs> this belongs nope. to Jesus now. This belongs to Jesus now. Um, <laughs> but no, so Sibylle traveled far and wide and Truly between 4000 BC and literally like 500 AD, continuously worshipped. Jesus, that's like bonkers. I'm a little disappointed in myself for not knowing like more about her. But I want to talk more about the blood and the pain. (laughs) Yes. Because, okay, and actually we're kind of... In in between the two Sibylle holidays that ancient Rome had. Um, so one of them was the, the Holy Week, which starts in the Ides of March, um, which is the 15th of March. Ides just means middle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ides of March sounds so much more epic than just saying March 15th, though. The, the, I, truly, truly, truly. <laughs> um, but it would start around the Ides of March and end around the 27th of march so they would have this holy week where they each day would kind of reenact a different portion of this sibylle and attis story so they would there was a day where they would um whip themselves so that the flecks of blood would splash onto the attis statue um commemorating his very very famous and castration and going um, back, this is where we can continue to say that kink does belong in the queer community. Kink does belong in the queer community. But that's also <laughs> potentially the day when they would do the castrations for the new clergy members. Still just makes me a little, like, <sighs> um, woozy. But there was also part of... So one of the big symbols of Sibylle's cult is the lion overtaking a bull. Um, you know, Sibylle raised by cats, theoretically. Um, and in the Roman zodiac, um, Sibylle was co ruler of Leo, the lion. Mm. Because of that lion symbology, you know, Sibylle rides in on a chariot pulled by lions. When she's seated on her throne, she has a lion at her hand yeah the like the chariot card vibes like feel very sibylly but it's like if you take out the sphinxes and just straight up make them lions right so and when leo is rising in the zodiac taurus the bull is falling over the other horizon okay i love uh, that so they would do a bull sacrifice on the, the the day where they do all the whippings and the sacrifices and stuff is called the day of blood. Metal as fuck. The day um, of blood. Um, it's like Deus Sanguinus or something. I'm like, I'm going to start calling the first day of my period Deus Sanguinus. Um, 
anyway, so the, the day of blood. And so uh, initiates into Sibylle's priesthood, um, the Galli, right, would um, stand in a, in, a, in a pit. And there would be sort of a grating over the pit, which was um, probably just sideways logs. Yeah, and then they would right. lead a bull over the top of of this grating. Now, now keeping in mind, there's there's people standing in a pit underneath, right? And there's a bull at ground level over the top, and it's probably just sideways logs. Um, and then they would sacrifice the bull, and then um, as the bull bled to death, the 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 people would just be standing in the pit underneath while the blood kind of like rained down on them and sort of slowly filled up the pit. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. Like the Vikings could never. Um, And then, yeah, they would have kind of the big party for Sibylle um, starts April 4th. So that's kind called the the, the Megalesia. And that um, was kind of more of um, party vibes. You know, it's, um, it's a little less bathing, literally sort of bathing in blood and kind of more just to, to tell the story and give thanks. Um, okay. And so that's really all I have for today because Ostara is going to run a little long. So... Okay, cool. Maybe well, maybe we'll circle back around to this one. But basically, Sibylle, um, girl boss, and you have to, like, femme up to join her cult, which is kind of cool. I mean, look, I, I like Sibylle, I think. I am, again, I'm a little ashamed of myself for not knowing more about her already. Because I'm it's... like, How? Yeah, and you know the the festivals uh, around the the Romans called her the Magnus Mater, the the big mother. Um, you I know like the fr- the Phrygians called her um, Mater something or other, which uh, translated to mountain mother. Hey, you know old Turkish is hard, people. <laughs> just a just a fun fact: all those place names have more consonants than I can deal with as an English speaker, and. Um, Anyway, so Mountain Mama, West Virginia, Country Roads. Take me home. Take me home. Well, we're going to go home to the head shop and talk about Benzwin. Uh, okay, so again, this isn't like really a plant. It's it's a resin that comes from a tree. But I think that Benzwin is something that like most witches and lovers of incense are familiar with whether or not you're aware of it. So if you've ever had a mixed bag of incense sticks, I almost bet you, like, I almost guarantee you that there's, like, a benzoin-scented incense in there because they're in everything. So benzoin is a resin. Specifically, it is a balsamic resin, which refers to, like, resins from balsam trees, but, again, makes me want bruschetta oh Uh, i I literally was like so what we're making a balsamic glaze for brussels sprouts or Mm. i'm like i just had dinner but i would definitely go hard on some balsamic glaze brussels sprouts 
So you'll see it sometimes, though, uh, referred to as gum benzoin on a lot of like incense packaging. But the way it smells, it's it to me smells like warm vanilla with a little balsam in it. So it it has that. It's just like a really sweet but refreshing smell. I like benzoin more than like pure vanilla scents because it's not something about having that like kind of tree green scent in it, I think really helps level it out, which is why I don't mind vanilla in some perfume blends if it's in there with a lot of like earthy green smells. Anyway, so benzoin comes from the bark of a few different types of trees in the genus Styrax. So Styrax or commonly referred to as Snowbells, which is just such a cute name. Uh, they're primarily found in Eastern and Southeastern Asia, but you can also find them in South America. Um, they're kind of all over the place. They're really like a temperate, warm environment type of tree. Um, they're, they're often classified as large shrubs other than trees but like they range a lot in size so like some of this uh some of the styrax trees are like six feet tall but some of them get up to 45 feet the 45 footers aren't the most common but you know they're they're like a pretty average size big shrubby boy tree right so for our friends uh who aren't on this american measurement system that doesn't make any sense that's two to 14 meters so they have uh, alternate leaves, though. They're deciduous or they're evergreens. Um, they're ovate leaves. They're not really large. I mean, they kind of have like bay leaf size and look vibes to them. But the flowers, I think, are super cute. So they're what are referred to as pendulous flowers. So they hang upside down like bells. And they're white. And they can get up to like 10 inches long. So they're super cute. Like that's where the snowbells comes from. They straight up look like something that a gnome would wear as a cute little hat. And oh, gorge. I love it. But of course, the benzoin resin doesn't come from the flowers. It comes from the bark. So once a tree is about seven years old, you can tap the bark to collect the sap. And it's harvested like almost the same way maple sap is. Like if you think about how like people tap maple trees, that's pretty much how they tap these uh, different types of styrax trees for benzoin. And then the hard tree resin, um, the, the crude tree resin is hardened. Uh, and then it's often put into like a solvent of some sort to extract the benzoin essential oils or that tree resin once it hardens is like made into a powder. Um, so again, it's like really vanilla-y. So it gets e extracted into essential oils a lot for you know diffusers and stuff these days too but the history i think of it is is really interesting right so benzoin has been popular for a long time since like antiquity so they refer to it sometimes as storax resin and i'm i'm saying storax not styrax um but it's been used in like perfumes incense blends and even medicine and there are some disagreements among historians about which type of resin like old resources are referring to, because um, believe it or not, things, you know, aren't always clearly traceable when there's, you know, uh, the same type of tree, but in like different species all over the place. But there is a Turkish sweet gum tree that has like a similar resin that's 
probably like mixed in there with some of these resources that are referring to benzoin. But we can definitely presume that at least like some of the storax resin, the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans talk about was our friend benzoin who we're talking about like today, right? So we know that benzoin from uh, the Styrax officinalis was imported from the Near East by Phoenician merchants. Um, we know this because uh, Herodotus of Helicon Helicarnassus in the 5th century BC recorded different stories um, and talked about like different kinds of storax resin in trade. So he would talk about different like types of resin. So we know that benzoin had to have been one of them. Uh, so, you know, we know that there was a mix and Herodotus was like a historian. So like he took notes. These are good notes. Uh, allegedly also the Sultan of Egypt would send benzoin uh, as a gift to the Doge of Venice, the Queen of Cyprus, really, uh, really important people. And there's also an argument to be made if you're someone interested in like biblical, specifically Old Testament history. Um, in the books of in the book of Exodus, there's an incense that's like uh, beloved by God. And some people say it could have been benzoin. And it Although also made I also like the interpretation that it's weed. I mean, you know, so does every like deadhead lover out there. <laughs> um, and, you know, Nick, I had to make sure you knew that Benzwin did make its way to England in the 15th century. It came over in powdered form and Queen Elizabeth, uh, Queen Elizabeth the first wore perfumes made with Benzwin. Oh, so. not, not Liz one. Liz one. Damn. Right. Uh, and Nostradamus in like 1550s wrote about benzoin as well uh, as a tonic for skin infections. So like it's a resin that got around. I'm not going to get into like using it medicinally. Mostly it's recommended for like topical treatments because it's anti-inflammatory, antimicrobial, yada, yada, yada. But there actually hasn't been like a lot of research on it. And so there are a lot of things you can use medicinally that do have more research on it. So, you know, I mean, Benzwin smells great. And it's okay to just like enjoy something that smells great and not need it to also like heal your eczema. So let's talk about the magic. Uh, again, Benzwin kind of hoed around, right? It's kind of all over the place. But I think... So Did it's make... it's Venusian. It's Venusian. <laughs> Venusian. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I think that it's actually like that serves it really well as I think a good sort of ingredient to have around as a witch, right? So like multi-purpose stuff is awesome. Sometimes it's you know people are like the vanilla scent gives it like love magic vibes. Again, I think Venus really goes well here if you love venus and you don't like the way straight vanilla smells but you want to do a vanilla-y lovely sort of offering try benzoin but because hey, it you know we're not saying that venusians are sluts we're just saying if something is slutty my first thought is that it's venusian yeah and i think that libras everywhere we're just like yeah <laughs> yeah we love you we do love you um, but of course, we know like the Greeks and the Romans loved it, right? As well as the Egyptians. So I think that benzoin's actually like a really good incense to use for offerings to deities, kind of from all over the place. So you know, we were talking about this like mix and match 
sort of like work with deities, which, um, hi, modern witches, a lot of us do that. Benzoin's a great one, I think, to use for a lot of stuff. Um, it's also recommended as like an herb for cleansing. Incense sticks in general are just like super convenient ways to do a smoke cleanse if you don't have like a bundle of herbs around. Just like carry a little plate and, you know, take your incense sticks all over the place. You can use them uh, even into like some smaller areas that you can't necessarily get smoke bundles into. Um, it they also like in some of the resources talked about benzoin uh, being used for like restoring emotional balance, relaxation, even helping like soothe away sadness, grief, and anger. So y'all know I'm gonna say it's good for a bath, like doing incense while you're in the bath because if if you're not taking baths to restore emotional balance and to relax, what are you doing in there? Um, astral projecting, maybe we'll get to it. So uh, it can also be, though, I think, in general, because of all of this that I've gone into, right? It's like, it's good for, like, love. So it could be self-love. It's good for cleansing, for healing, soothing grief. Um, hi, shadow work, friend, right? Like, I think it kind of covers a lot of the bases to work with if you're doing shadow work. Um, but then, finally, I saw a few recommendations to use Benzoin to help expand your consciousness and aid in psychic work. I mean, Nostradamus was talking about it, not for this, but who's to say it wasn't the Benzoin that like gave Nostradamus the juice? We we don't know it didn't. So, well, it's kind of like, I mean, to borrow from Nostradamus's time, generally speaking, during the Black Death, one of the popes, I don't fucking know which one, okay? It doesn't matter. Survived an outbreak of plague by um, putting burning, like, braziers of burning charcoal all around himself. Kind of creating a force field, right? <laughs> and this was supposed to adjust his, like, phlegmatic humors... Um, so that he did not become susceptible to the plague. Now, what actually happened is all the smoke kept fleas out of the room. Yeah, it kept fleas out of the room and also kept every other person away from him. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's like, it, it, humors aren't real. To any no. to any medieval peasants who are listening to this, um, humors are have been discovered to not be real. Also, um, please, uh, medieval peasants, let me know how you feel about your smartphone, because I'm curious. Um, but yeah, so you could use Benzoin to, you know, to do your psychic work again. I'm feeling yeah. like ben like Benzoin and Sibylle are our friends. Our friends, yeah. Yeah, no, they go back. Um, but yeah, magic baths, y'all. So if if you you could also use it for like, you know, psychic work outside of the bathtub, but I, I don't understand that. I only do my psychic work in the tub because I have a Pisces moon. Um, but that's really it today. I mean, it's kind of short and sweet. I just wanted to cover something that I'm like, I have seen Benzoin for as long as I can remember because I've always been an incense whore, like literally for my entire life. So I love it. Sources, Wikipedia, NewDirectionsAromatics.com, Indigo-Herbs.co.uk, IncenseMaking.com, BelladonnasBotanicals.com, and SoulNiche.com. SoulNiche. SoulNiche. That's where I live. <laughs> it's a niche. 
Um, okay, so Ostara Part Three. Um, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get into it, right? Because I had I I had a vision for this, and then I lost it, and then um, I I have this new vision, right? Which is um, sort of pitching alt Ostara. Okay, let's hear it. I'm excited. So everyone who's listened to our previous Sabbat episodes knows that we do occasionally take a step back and say, I'm not sure if this is exactly for me. Um, like not witchiness in general, but like the fact that some of the reconstruction elements of Wicca do seem pulled out of a hat at times. Um, and Ostara is unfortunately one of those times where it's it like- is. I can see and I absolutely get behind the inspiration, but like a lot of the historical support just simply isn't there. And frankly, it's a little uninspiring. Um, yeah. It's derivative. I, I never loved Easter either. Like, it's just not, I don't know. It's not, a, it's not my vibe. Right. And like, not to heart, not to generalize too harshly, but a lot of the spiritualist community in the late 19th and early 20th centuries were like really into white supremacy and Aleister Crowley and the Golden Dawn and truly just a melange of wacky shit. And really toxic shit, y'all. Like Crowley's, like Crowley's not a good guy. And uh, all of that to say, like, maybe not in this particular case, but sometimes you can't help but wonder what things could have been like if different people had been, you know, in the room, so to yeah. speak. If, uh, more, if, if maybe a more diverse cast had a seat at the table, perhaps. Right. You know, when they were piecing together the lore and sort of piecing together this, like, new Wiccan wheel of the year that we ultimately have ended up with, right? And then I remember that witchcraft is cool because we all get to choose our own path. And also, if we all just sat around doing stuff just because we're supposed to, and because some, like, ghost-loving Edwardians wrote it down, we would be Christians. Ew. And that's not who we want to be. Um, which is a good place to dive into the takedown portion of this segment which is that Ostara does seem like a largely ex-Christian community's answer to pagan Easter. Yep. And, like, I know that early, early on, Christianity did take a lot of the symbolism from European pagans and incorporate it into their Easter celebration. But then sort of trying to deconstruct it and attach it to this goddess, uh, Estra or Ostara, who does not have a lot of historical basis, feels derivative and a little uninspired because we're like trying to keep the rabbit and the egg when we've largely forgotten the symbolism of it all in the first place. Yeah, and guys, rabbits and eggs, like, come on. We can I mean, be they're We're, fine. They're fun. We get it. But like, and it's like, you know, I, I want something for city witches. You know, like if you live in the country, if you are a farmer, rabbits and eggs and things like that are going to be these like symbols of fertility and springtime. 
but I live in an apartment. Yeah, and also like, I, you know what? I don't. I don't live near like fields of rabbits, and I don't get to get fucking fresh eggs. So it's city living shit. It's city living shit. Um, which is you know, and I would say, in my very biased opinion, that spring is the best. Like spring is pretty dope. Like you can feel the world coming to life in a very sexy way, and um, um you really can't help but be inspired and. Um, I will admit that this Ostara season, I felt inspired to take that step back and lean into one of my recurring fantasies of what if I got to be in the Wicca planning committee and pitch what I would want to see for a spring equinox festival. Um, and so this segment kind of turned into that. Um, this is my Ostara pitch for the committee. I'm I'm here. Okay. Um, and Shannon, you will be playing the part of the committee. Um, and I will, I will, I'm doing my pitch to you. Okay. <clears throat> Let me just have a sip of wine before I really get into this because I'm I really, all ears. I've poured my heart and soul into this, truly. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm very excited about this. Um, and you know, it's a little goofy, but I think, I think we're all going to have a good time. So, as you all know, I stay on my Dionysus slash Artemis shit. So you should already know if it's coming from me, it's coming from a toga's wine debauchery outdoor party place, right? Yes. So naturally, if I'm looking for inspo for what I would see for a spring equinox do, I'm obviously looking at Greece and Rome to see what they have for this very special time of the year, um, which is also notably around my birthday. Uh, very notably. And I am so excited because I found something that literally checks all my boxes. Um, the OG festival was literally held on the Ides of March, um, AKA March 15th. Um, and there's their very nice historical connection that is tangible. And I think because if witches are looking for this continuity, like we don't have to really reach for Ostara or Estra or something where the historical record is incomplete because we have a complete historical record of the Feast of Anna Perenna. Okay. And um, it is from Rome, the birthplace of modern Christianity. So I personally feel like this as a spring equinox festival really has more of a taking it back feel than Ostara does. I'm here for it. Okay. So um, first of all, who is Anna Perenna? Yeah, well, tell me Anna, about her. Anna Perenna is the Roman goddess of the wheel of the year. Um, and the Roman year started in March because they believed that spring was the first season of the year because they're correct. <laughs> um, and I, I, I like that. I like that view. I think, you know, if we're looking at Samhain as the witch's new year, I don't, that doesn't really strike me personally. Um, but I think it takes all types, right? It does. It definitely takes all types. I still feel like, to me, 
Samhain definitely makes more sense than Jan 1 still. That, I agree. Because, like, what the fuck? I, the middle of winter? That's when we're doing this? <laughs> the start? Yeah, truly. Truly. Anyway. Um, <laughs> well, no, because I would say that fall does kind of feel like the end of the year. And therefore the beginning of the new year like fall feels like the end of the year but spring feels like the beginning of the year yeah i and i get that i could i could see that so i could see it both ways right i truly can and we're not trying to replace the new year with spring i'm just saying the romans believed that spring was the new year and fair um, fair enough and fair enough, I see where they're coming from with that. So Anna Perenina, uh, I I keep wanting to say we'll it say like Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina. Anna Perenna. Anna Perenina um, is the goddess of the wheel of the year, and is sort of someone that you would make sacrifices and devotions to for a long life. Is sort of the top ask for Anna Perenna um oh you know so like the toppest ask well and we'll get into it but okay because there's actually a really fun ritual around this that i think is just ah it's so dionysian and i just i love it okay so there's two um competing stories about how anna perenna gained divinity right so the first is during the first um plebeian revolt in rome an old woman named Anna baked little cakes and breads for the plebeian resistance because they were being kind of choked out by the the patricians, the upper class, the fancy people, um, who were basically like, get back to work. Get back to work. Um, and so she, this, this, this woman of means who I took sides with the plebeians in their revolt fed them little cakes and breads and because they it got them through and they got you know it was sort of like a union movement right where like they they held out long enough they got their demands and she becomes the, a folk hero and then when she dies it's said that they continued to worship her as like a folk deity so much so, so that she becomes this um sort of homegrown roman folk goddess um, of Anna Perenna and having achieved this status because so many people worshipped her on their household altars um, there's actually a story that she then impersonates Minerva to fuck Mars okay so you just imagine and when I imagine think of that I think of like um, Blanche from Golden Girls because yeah. that seems like yeah you know, kind of a lusty old lady who, you know, through being just an icon and for the working people. I mean, y'all know I'm a socialist, so I love when a, a story comes around and it's like, she's famous because she helped the peasants revolt against their unkind masters. And so she's for the people. Which we'll get into the festival later on, but I think it's important to note that um, real life Anna Perenna was for the people. Um, and then there's sort of like this mythical telling, which does kind of go back to the Aeneid as well, where um, Anna Perenna was Dido's sister. 
And then after Dido committed suicide, uh, she went on the run uh, from her other brother, Pygmalion. Um, and she is told by sort of a, uh, uh, an oracle to go hide out in Latinium, which is, you know, the land of the Latins, where Rome eventually is founded. And blah, 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 blah. And then, um, but, you know, she can't escape her fate, which is mm, to die. Um, <laughs> to die. So ultimately, the River King turns her into a river nymph, uh, and specifically of this um, this river, which is the um, perennial river, which is a snow melt river that comes down from the Italian Alps during the spring every year, perennial. and and it's perennial and. Anna Perenna is the source of perennial. Ah, of perennial. Ah, I got it. I see what I see. What language did there? Yeah. So there's this river. It's a snowmelt river. It only comes once a year, like Santa Claus, even. Um, and she is the river nymph of this river that only exists once a year. Um. In Conveniently enough, in the springtime, when the melts start to happen. So I mean, and how coolly aloof is that to just, like, you can just come once a year. But either way, Anna Perina is the goddess of the Wheel of the Year. And someone that, if you were making devotions or sacrifices or whatever, it's for a long life. So, what is the feast of Anna Perina? And how did they celebrate it in Rome? Well, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm like so fired up for this. Okay, because this is so much more fun than just like putting some rabbits and shit on your altar. Okay, so, and it's for the people because this is not high ritual, you know, which might only be witnessed by patricians. Okay, this is a rowdy festival for people who work. For people who have the day off work for this. For witches who work. Yes. So, and again, March 15th is the traditional, the Ides of March is the traditional date of this festival. Um, and yes, uh, it was happening when they killed Caesar. <laughs> Whoops. So they had to interrupt that particular party to tell people that Caesar had been killed. <laughs> Which I think is just interesting historical. Topics. Yeah, can you? I'm like to be a fly on that wall. Well, there was no wall because the feast of Anna Perenna is a giant picnic, and that yeah. is, I think, one of the top cool things about it. So everyone and their mother would go down to the banks of the Tiber River in Rome, and they would set up picnics. And that is the the quote unquote feast of Anna Perenna. Oh my God, that sounds. Can you imagine, like, just hundreds and hundreds of people, all with their own cute little baskets and blankets? And it and so here's the thing. So because of this thing where this um, particular holiday was associated with. You're you're wanting prosperity for the new year, but it's also kind of taking a longer view that you, this is when, you know, romances would start. Um, it's giving kind of like Beltane vibes in that in that way. 
Um, and you would really kind of try to manifest a good upcoming year. But it's nice spring weather, so we're making it a picnic, okay? But I, and I love this because one of the rituals or one of the parts of the Feast of Anna Perenna is that you were supposed to try to drink as many glasses of wine as years that you wanted to live. Oh my God. <laughs> that, that is epic. That is epic. And what I would say is I think, um, you know, if we were going to adapt this into like a homebrew Sabbath, uh, I would say let's t- let's make that shots of wine, first of all. Yeah, or shots of like weed bevy, your bevy yeah, of or, choice. Or puffs. Ooh, puff puff. Yeah. Puff puff, right? And then um I would also say if we were adapting this the way that they adapted Ostara, right? Um, we're doing shots of wine, but we're doing shots of wine for how many more years we would uh, hope to live after this. Yeah. So that way, like a 20-year-old, let's say 100's the number everyone's shooting for. Like a 20-year-old is taking 80 shots of wine. But and like you, got a, a, you got a full day. You got a right, full day to do it. You got it. a full day to do it. But like, you know, a 60-year-old is taking half that amount. Yeah. Which seems appropriate. I feel like, yeah, that seems, like, good for your liver. <laughs> and and then an 80-year-old's only taken 20 shots of wine. And at that point, if you're 80 and you're taking shots of wine, you've definitely got another 20 years in you. Yeah. Um. But then, so they would literally have this picnic all day. And then they would camp. They would kind of pass out where they passed out. Probably on a picnic blanket. Um. I'm just Some... imagining a bunch of people with like wine stained lips pass the fuck out like an, a picnic blanket, like looking a little askew. But if you had a lover, you were supposed to spend the day with them. Ow. And fuck. Nice. You're supposed to, if you have a lover or a spouse or what, you're supposed to fuck. And like, because camping in Roman times really just meant like sleeping on a blanket on the grass. Um, it's really kind of like a public orgy. Yeah, I mean, that that would be what happened, I think, if everyone was taking 80 shots of wine and then <laughs> chilling on a blanket by a river. So let me let me just let me just um kind of like give you the bullet points here. So the feast of Anna Perina, everyone goes down by the river. They do hella shots of wine, they fuck, they eat on picnic blankets, and then they fuck on the picnic blankets and then they sleep on the picnic blankets and then maybe they wake up and they drink more wine and they fuck and they, you, you, you I think I get the gist so um, that's my pitch I'm gonna say I'm thoroughly convinced that's my pitch for what I would have as a spring equinox sabbath um, I'm thoroughly convinced. Because, I mean, just think about it. You go down by the river, you have a picnic. Did I mention that you just are supposed to drink as many glasses of wine as years that you would potentially like to live? 
This is like a, a perfect situation for a spritzer. <laughs> it really is. It really is. This is a wine spritzer holiday. And I can get behind that. I can absolutely get behind it. Um, but also, it's historically well-documented. Yeah. It's historically well-documented. Like, we we have, you know evidence that people would have celebrated this holiday around this time and we That's don't way cooler than the made-up thing that is ostara we don't have to make up a bunch of shit when the feast of anna perenna is right there and admittedly way doper it sounds fun it does sound fun. Okay, so Wands and Fronds Pod is officially pro Feast of Anna Perenina. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm always going to have to, like, I'm always going to think it that way. I'm always um, going to say it that way because my brain is broken. Oh, I mean, it's hard to be such an intellect that you can't get Anna Karenina <laughs> out of your mind. Um Okay, well, Nick, before we get into, like, the Terrascope, do you want to do, like, tiny asks? Ooh, tiny asks. Okay, you guys. <laughs> like, subscribe, review. Thank you. There you go. Okay, um, y'all, I'm, I, so, <laughs> my Terrascope this week kind of was one of those things where it was just like, well, okay, um, so I drew Aquarius, and the reason it's interesting that this card jumped out at me today is that tomorrow is the anniversary of my sister dying. Like, it's been a full year, and fucking Aquarius jumps out of my little kitty cat tarot deck. Like, and this whole episode is about kind of breaking out of the boundaries. And then the card I got was the devil in reverse. There's a theme. There's yeah. a theme. So um, I, I use my <laughs> uh, my Nightmare Before Christmas tarot. So, of course, the devil is Oogie Boogie, which is dope. But in reverse, like the devil card is, you know, the reverse devil. You can be kind of going into a dark night of the soul, but I don't feel like that's what this is, Aquarius. I feel like I'm interpreting this as that you're ready for a spiritual up level, but you need to like let go of some shit. Like you need... <laughs> to release whatever those like habits are or those unhealthy thought patterns, weird religious hangups that you still have from like a past life as a Christian. Um, you know, it's like it, the devil is all about, you know, temptation and the, you know, things that make you a little gluttonous. Like that's what the card is. When it's upright, it can also be a Capricorn. Um, but yeah, in reverse, I feel like it's like you're so close to up-leveling. You have to release some of that. Um, so it was just wild. Like when we got through this episode and we just like kept talking about like the Feast of Anna Perenna and like letting go of preconceived notions of how things are supposed to be and like forging your own path and Aquarians, who is better at that than I you? was going to say that feels so Aquarian. It does. But I just, you know, my youngest sister who died a year ago was an Aquarius um, who uh, interestingly died due to addiction related issues. So like getting the devil in reverse with the Aquarius the night 
before the anniversary of my sister dying was like, oh, hi, wild. Right? No, it, that's, yeah. It's a lot. And, you know, I think that it's, um, I feel like if my youngest sister could leave a message for anyone, it would definitely be like, don't let your shit stop you. Uh, very touching. Yeah. Anyway. So that's that's what I got. That's what I got for the tarot scope. It just like kind of made my brain go, Jesus Christ. All right. <laughs> and I just want to say, you know, kind of before we sign off, you know, for all of the purists out there that are just like really into the Wiccan interpretation of the wheel of the year. Like, I think the point of what I'm trying to say about Ostara is that you can do that if that's what you'd like to do. Yeah. But if if that doesn't feel great to you, because admittedly, Ostara has always been the one where I'm like, we didn't do anything really this year either, because it's like, eh, I'm not inspired by it. The Feast of Anna Perenna, I feel like I would get stoked to plan something around that. Well, and I kind of didn't do this intentionally, but like, I went out and had like a very nice dinner uh, with with like a tasting menu on the solstice which yeah the solstice to me is more the holiday than yeah. like the celestial movement um as someone who identifies as you know at least partially sometimes a space witch which you know today is actually the day of that crazy conjunction yeah and the energy is interesting. It is very, I mean, it's loopy, but I'm into it. It is. I'm like, all I want to do is sit down and play my game. Anyway, um, well, Nick, I'll let you, you, you do this part the best. All right. Well, Shannon, what do we say to all the bitches that are drunk on 80 shots of wine? <laughs> oh, my God. First of all, maybe think about checking into rehab um second of all blessed be you wine drunk bitches blessed be bitches and goodbye. happy late Ostara. yeah happy late Ostara. goodbye <laughs>